Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast, the podcast all about the delicate balance between people and business, and quite literally, reconnecting the two. My name is Tracy Rubin, and I've spent nearly my entire professional career in HR. Join me as I share stories, opinions, and words of advice with you each week. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for being here for another week. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you give it a thumbs up and subscribe so you can, you know, come back every single week and be here with the rest of us. On that note, I am so excited that this week I have Brad Fetterman on. He's the CEO of Performance Point his own company. And actually, Brad is someone that I connected with a few months ago because our um, mutual connection, Brian, connected us, lots of connections on LinkedIn. And Performance Point is is a consulting and, and training firm. And you'll hear from Brad. He is like probably one of the most remarkable people that I've spoken to. I mean, when we first spoke, I want to say it was probably in the fall of 2020 at this point, um, I was captivated by his his mission, by his um, achievements, by his goals. I mean, he really is very, very, very interesting person. So I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. We share a few giggles as well. I guess without further ado, we'll get right into it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I am joined by Brad Fetterman, and I'm so excited that we finally have been able to connect and do this because we obviously have a matchmaker and one of your employees, and so it was very important to him that uh, we finally connect, and I am also glad that we could connect because we've, we obviously um, first spoke uh, a little while ago, but now we're, we're getting to live out the dream of the podcast collab. So Brad, welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. I, uh, I run a company called Performance Point, and our focus is on inspiring others to discover and live their possible. I've been doing this work for about 25 years, uh, both internally and externally. I love it. And I wouldn't change my career for anything. I get up every day and I'm excited about the fact that we help organizations and individuals become better and stronger. And our mission is all about what your podcast is. It's all about bringing the human back into human resources. The sad part, I'd say, is that it was never really there on the front end because it was based off of legal and personnel. Yeah. And and so I think the evolution is that human resources is finally becoming part. Humans yes. are finally becoming part of human resources. Excuse me. Yes, so. I totally agree. Thank you for sharing that. I, I I actually yeah, it's it's true that HR is starting to get that people centrism uh, that that I think it deserves to focus on. So that is such a good point. And actually. Something that it, all of this makes me think up think of is about how you have led your career and how you have kind of guided yourself toward this uh, reckoning with people operations, I guess we can say, and being being a business owner and also being an author and a keynote speaker. Something that you have that I've noticed at least that you kind of speak through speak through across all of these different outlets is that you own your career. So I, I'd love to hear from you. Do you remember the first time or that moment where you truly started to own it, that you started to own your career? Yeah, I think, uh, well, I think there's, there are key points in everyone's um, career. And in mine, there's been more than one. Uh, I would say one of the key moments for me was I was working for an organization and I had a very volatile boss. Hmm. And a lot of the people that worked for, for him 
uh, were afraid of him. You know, I even saw employees that cried mm-hmm. uh, and, and people would quit because it was they were worried about their health. And I, for one, got to a point where I thought, I don't care anymore. I'm not afraid. If, if I do the right thing and if I, if I get talked to the wrong way and I say something and I lose my job, it will be okay. Mm-hmm. And that moment was so freeing. And I would tell you it was not only freeing, it was, uh, and, and liberating, it was also a moment in my career where I saw performance get better. When you're focused truly on what you should be focused on, on customers, on bettering the business, on all the right things, instead of what people think, how will someone react, then you become unstoppable. Well, the work you provide and you, and you um, complete is so much better than uh, when you're worried about those things. So I think the first thing is you've got to let go of fear. You've got to let go of all the things that hold you back. That doesn't mean you don't care. It just means that you care so, only so much. You care appropriately. Mm-hmm. Wow, so. I, I feel this on a very spiritual level right now because uh, I, I, uh, I mean, first of all, I had a similar experience with a previous boss who was out of control, and I talk about that on a on an episode titled uh, "My Experience with Bad Leadership." I think that it, that's what it's called, and I sure. kind of go into respectfully what I experienced and what made this person a bad leader. But I also um, have been talking about my own personal journey as a, as a Jewish woman and how that all has really been playing out for me and the workplace and in my personal life and everything. And that um, this idea of not being afraid is a huge sentiment because I've, you know, it's, it's hard when, when you stand up for groups and you really, you really want to be heard yourself too. It's like, right. well, there, you know, how do you, how do you do so in a, in a, a climate that politicizes your religion? And, and it's, you know, it's so, um, it's polarizing to be a human being right now. Yeah. I think being a human in general is not an easy thing to do. Um, but I definitely feel that on a spiritual level. Yes. I, I hear that loud and clear. And I think, I think in some ways, most people are, you get such demographic changes and fragmentation in, in media um, in social media that people are at a point where they are, um, interpreting almost everything in a political sense. And what would be amazing is if you just say, Tracy, why do you feel that way? Mm-hmm. Help me understand what your experience is like. And if we could actually spend more time understanding and providing empathy rather than trying to control and be right, we oh. would get a heck of a lot more done. I feel that on a spiritual level too. Can I say that? <laughs> we would get so much more done. Like I think of, I think of the amount of productivity that we would have if it wasn't just about this or that. And, and it's just all of the dichotomies. I mean, people are not black and white. Things are not black and white. We, I mean, considering our conversation is about being people centric, we know that we can't people, human beings are, are very deep, you know, intellectual beings and, and we can't just sum them up into this or that, you know, and it's, oh, I'm going to wait until I listen back to this. I can't wait. I can't wait to listen back and it'll be a refresher of the things that I have to remind myself of sometimes too, that it's, sure. you know, so thank you for that. Yeah. And, and actually, um, I guess this kind of, this is a potentially a good segue into our next question here, which is okay. around some of the quotes that I read and loved. 
on your website because I did do my research and I wanted to make sure that I really found some thought-provoking quotes because you have some good ones. I have to say, I was like, I got to narrow these down. And the one that stood out to me most, and I'm going to read it here. It says, quote, the difference between a manager and a leader is simple. Managers believe their employees work for them. Leaders believe they are there to support their team. And so this obviously has been a huge topic on my podcast. And it's something that I'm personally passionate about. And I know my listeners are also really passionate about it. So thinking about like taking, taking these points of people centrism and understanding that there's so much complexity to human beings. How, what are, what are some strategies that people can take to pivot from just managing and controlling and being the boss to actually leading and supporting and understanding and using empathy? Sure. I think the, the first thing we, first thing we need to do, and, and this is not about somebody pivoting, this is about organizations pivoting is mm. we need to make sure that we are promoting the right people. Mm. We promote people who are great at their job into a leadership position. Why? Because they're really good at the job they're doing. But the job we're promoting them into has nothing to do with, looks nothing like Mm -hmm. the job they're doing now. So we should be promoting people into roles for skill sets and behaviors they are already exemplifying at the moment. Mm -hmm. So if you are going to get pushed into a management or leadership position, you should be demonstrating management leadership skills. Um, And and so it takes about a good, gosh, if someone's directed and they're intentional and they're ready to make a transition, it takes two or three years for someone to transition from being a good individual contributor to being a leader. Mm -hmm. If they're not ready, it could take five to seven or longer. And some people are just never ready. So we need to make sure that we are promoting the right people into leadership positions. Those are people that demonstrate leadership skills. That's the first thing. But I think the second thing is, and and this is really important, the reason why people manage people and they act like individual contributors is because we've been, I want you to think about this. All right, so Tracy, we're gonna have a little discussion here. Okay. to answer this question. When when we were in kindergarten or first grade and we were learning our ABCs, we were learning our one, two, threes, our multiplication tables, whatever, or addition tables, I should say, um, and you got things right, what did your teacher give you? An A. An A. When, before you even got A's, what did your teacher give you? Oh, um, yeah, I guess that's too much grading, right? In kindergarten, yeah, I know. First grade. Uh, I guess maybe a gold star. A gold then, star, yeah. right? There was this beautiful little chart on the wall, <laughs> yeah. and you like got an gold a. stars. And when you got a gold star, you wanted, what, another gold star. It felt totally. so good, right? And if you were ahead and people were catching up, you wanted to work harder to stay ahead. And so what what are we doing? We are actually, we're actually telling people and promoting people based on their individual contributorship, their own work, right? And as you get older, you get grades, and then it's about your first job or your bonus or the car you're gonna drive. And we measure ourselves and we measure each other based on our own individual contributorship, mm. right? And, and so then one day someone dubs you, you're a leader, right? And, and so, couple things happen. One is communication changes. You know, if I'm a bank teller and I'm an individual contributor, pretty much almost every interaction I get is going to be 
similar or the same. I know people are going to say, I want to make a deposit. I want to make a withdrawal, right? It's the same stuff every day. Then you, you make me a bank manager and corporate headquarters is calling me. My manager's calling me. Customers are coming to me to complain about all kinds of things. I've got employees now that are talking to me about they're sick or they're getting a divorce and they need time off. And all of a sudden, I can't predict what my day looks like and my communication skills have to increase significantly. And then at the end of the shift, when I was a, when I was a bank teller, we all used to see who could close their draw out first. Right. And whose was closest? I, I was mine was not a penny off. It was accurate. Right. And now um, as a bank manager, you don't participate in that anymore. And when you do, you're never the fastest and you're never the most accurate anymore because you're, you're out of practice. Mm -hmm. right? And then you put in all these special um, things you want from me. You want the tellers to now cross sell. And you want referrals to other parts of the bank and you want and guess what they should do it and they benefit if they do it but i get dinged if it doesn't happen mm. so they're getting credit for what they do and when things go bad which i don't and when things go bad i'm having to take the accountability for the branch right and then on top of it you tell me that okay you know how you made this much before well you're going to make the same amount if you hit your goals but a portion of that is now going to get taken away and it's going to be incentive pay based on what the branch right. does. Right? right. And so you can make more if you really kick it out of the park. Yeah. You'll make the same amount if you do good work. But if you fall behind, you're going to make less than you made before because mm -hmm. you've got at risk pay. So now I'm not feeling good because I can't predict who's going to come talk to me about what and I'm not used to having these conversations and no one prepped me for all the stuff that I was going to have to deal with and now I get no credit and I get all the blame and now you've taken part of my pay and you've made, oh my gosh, you've made it at risk. I can make less than I made before. This is a headache I don't need. So what am I going to go back to? I'm going to go back to what I can control and I can control my work but i mistake the fact that now that i have seven eight people working for me or ten people working for me i control the fact that i think i can control everybody's work but i can't and so now in an effort to make sure that we're successful because i'm stressed out and i'm worried and upset i am now micromanaging everyone hmm. because i don't recognize the fact that the only thing i can control is my reaction to things. And if I can focus on myself and use that space between, as Viktor Frankl said, use the space between stimulus and response well. Because mm. in that space lies my freedom to choose and in that freedom to choose lies my growth and my development. If I can use that space well and I can manage my own reactions, then I can then actually support, influence, and help motivate the folks on my team and they'll deliver for the organization because I am removing barriers I am a servant leader to them mm. but I'm not going to do that if it's about me so you've got to actually lose focus on yourself and gain focus on managing yourself the only thing you can manage oh, like is you yeah oh I so. love that it's true that I mean first of all I love that that example and analogy because I think it's really relatable um, but it's true. I mean, we always say, or 
you know, if you if you uh, ever consult someone who uh, is able to help you process your feelings, like a therapist or anyone like that, they always say you can't control others, you can only control your reaction. And yeah. so this is really, uh, I kind of feel this on a spiritual level too, because like I'm starting to feel everything on a spiritual level. Um, because, you know, it, it's really, it's, it, this speaks to me because I, I think about my growth as a leader too, or the, even the growth that I've seen of people that I have led. Um, and there is something to that, that you eventually you relinquish the control or the interest in just yourself and what you contribute and you focus your attention. If you, if you want to become a strong leader, you really do focus your attention on how you respond and react to people who are top performers, people who are bottom performers. And actually, I think this is the best case or the best example of um, the difference between someone who wants to hire people who are smarter than them versus people who want to hire people that they can kind of control and manage. And I say a good leader is always going to hire someone who is smarter than them because they will be able to take on more and more and more and they'll feel challenged and you'll be able to delegate and you'll be able to focus your attention on things that potentially are not getting the support that they need and maybe, you know, who, whatever that looks like. But, you yeah. know, when you, when you remove the selfish element of the position that you're in, the amount you get paid, why you're there, how long you've been in the role, when you remove that and you drop the ego, as I try to say as often as possible, um, as a phrase that should be used more often, like drop the sure. ego, you know, you drop the ego and then actually you can get a lot more done and you have people who are really good at what they do, learning to develop and grow their skill set too. So I yeah. love that. I've never believed people show up to work to do a bad job. Totally. Most people go, go to work and they want to do good work. And, yeah. they, and, they, and I believe that that's the case. And if you believe that's the case, then generally speaking, when people do great work, you want to reward them, recognize them, and you want to understand how they did it so you can mm -hmm. share best practices. And when people do bad work, you want to understand why. Mm -hmm. And then you want to be able to fix things so that they're able to do the work they were meant to do to do. Now, totally. are there exceptions to that? Absolutely. But if you walk into the, into the world, the work world, with a mindset that everybody wants to do great things and that everyone's capable of significant growth, then you have a different way of interacting with and yes. working with the folks around you. A hundred percent. This is why, this is fundamentally why I always try and, and remind everyone, especially the leaders who need my support as their HR partner and my full-time job. Um, I always say, you know, people will rise to the occasion and they'll rise to the standard that you set for them. So if you set the standard really low because you don't have faith in them and you don't believe in them, guess what you're going to get? You're not going to get stellar performance. You're going to get the performance that you're expecting from them. And, and actually you're not really doing them a service at all. You're doing them True. a disservice because you just already have given up on them. So I really love that. And, and, and um, to kind of um, transition us into this next question around people centrism, one of the things that you first said to me when we when we met a few months ago, um, virtually of course, we're COVID safe, um, was that leaders aren't always focused on leading people as they are with leading processes. And I thought this was really interesting because it's it's I think that it came up because I had mentioned that. 
I had joined a discussion with other HR people who kept talking about the topic of people centrism and yet could not stop talking about process. And I was like, what is the real focus here? And so I'm, I'd love to hear from you on the record this time. Sure. How can leaders and businesses and organizations make a better effort to be people centric and to really hone in on it and not always see the process, but really see people for people? I think we have to change what we talk about and the way we meet. I think the reason people talk about process is because it's easy, right? It's easy to talk about a project. It's easy to talk about a task. It's easy to talk about process Mm -hmm. because it's what we know, we understand, and we're comfortable with. So, you know, I think when you go into a company, one of the the questions I always ask is, what keeps you up at night? And they always talk about turnover, morale. Everything they list is all people stuff. And then I go to them and I say, tell me about your meetings. Tell me about, you know, you meet daily, weekly. And, you know, sometimes they meet daily. Sometimes they meet weekly. Sometimes they meet monthly. But undoubtedly, when I, when I meet with them and I ask them what they talk about in their meetings, give me the agenda. It's all about the stuff. It's all about the problems. Mm-hmm. It's all about um, the process. It's all about, you know, those kinds of things. And so... I then turn around and say, well, can you answer a couple questions for me? And they say, what's that? I said, well, if you're worried about morale and turnover and all this other stuff, why do you talk about this stuff in the meetings and not those things? And they'll go, that's a good question. I said, well, all the things that you just talked about, the problems you're having, everything, why do they occur? And then they, they, they turn to all the things they talk about when it comes to people, right? They say, well, all this stuff that we talk about that's technical in nature, process, et cetera, is happening and is problematic because of all the people issues that we have concerns about. So the people issues that you have concerns about are what keep you up at night. But you talk about process and problems, Mm -hmm. even though they're not going to solve anything because the things that are causing the process and problem issues are your people issues. Mm-hmm. Do you see the you see the issue here, right? I mean, we're avoiding the very thing that's going to right. solve these problems at work. And they go, I never really thought about it before. And so you talk about, it. well, it's if if I'm in healthcare and I'm a nurse, it's easier for me to talk about nursing stuff because I know it, right? But we're not paid to do the easy stuff, right? Uh, if you're if you're your finance accounting uh, and and you're in leadership. You, I paid you to do finance and accounting when you were an individual contributor. If you're in nursing and now you're in leadership position in nursing, I paid you to do nursing when you were a nurse. But now that you're in a leadership position, I'm paying you to do something extra. I'm paying you to get past that stuff and into the people stuff, the hard stuff, the things that are just not as easy to quantify, right? Mm-hmm. Where you, you totally get it wrong. And, and people will only do that if we teach them how to build that into their daily life. Mm. So we actually work with people on how to change the way they meet, communicate, and to build people and culture into the way they work. And, and quite frankly, it's an amazing thing. Once you change the language, once you change agendas, once you change all those things, and you actually build people into the process, 
it's amazing how the world shifts and changes, right? So yeah. leaders don't do that naturally because no one's ever showed them how to do it. Hmm. And I'm amazed it happens with culture too. It comes with values. I've seen companies with values like um, we value our people, right? It's on the wall and it's mm -hmm. this beautiful thing. And then you, you say, okay, so when do you talk about that? And the answer you get back is, what do you mean? Yeah. I'm going, well. Why do we have to talk about it? If you value people, people should be a constant thing that right. you're working on, talking about, discussing, getting a pulse on in your organization. Well, we right. do an engagement survey. Well, that's nice, but that's once a year. So what happens the other 364 days? And, you know, they start looking at you like, I never thought about this before. And, and so you end up talking about how do you make that value come to life throughout the entire year? And, and that's an aha for a lot of leaders in companies is how to create a culture that comes alive all the time, not mm -hmm. just on an intervention, not mm -hmm. just on a survey, not just, um, you know, when we're doing a marketing piece for, for a client. You know, that, that's when we usually pull those values out. <laughs> we have these mm -hmm. values for our company. Well, let's tell our client. Yeah. Let's tell this prospect so, how good we are. Right, and, drive it home. And, and, and while you're doing that, it's funny because your employees are going, yeah, yeah right. we're really good like, at that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, it sure. looks good, but that's not how my boss treats me on a daily right. basis. You right, know? So Totally. Yeah. It's like really about being putting your money where your mouth is and being action oriented and really, you know, not, not approaching things hypocritically. If you're going to say that you stand for something, really stand for it. True. And I mean, that is, uh, the, the nature of being a human too, is that we all bring to work ourselves. We bring our belief systems, we bring our troubles. And, and so we, with that, I mean, if a company is going to say we value, um, authenticity, then you have to allow the room for the authenticity so that people can really feel that or whatever it looks like. Maybe, maybe people value, I don't know, community engagement. Well, you better have, you know, you better have some programs set up um, because I, I definitely think people will and should, you know, hold their employers accountable to those things, to really following through on the things that they say they're going to do. And, and culture, we know culture is built from everyone. It's not top down. It's not bottom up. It's really like a, it's an all around effort for sure. Um, and, and one of the, I, it's really the final question that I have for you. Um, and it's, it's kind of the advice segment, I, if you will, uh -huh. because the listeners love when they get some hot takes and some tips and advice. So do you have any advice for someone um, who's looking to become a people manager or, you know, make changes in how they lead a team, where should they start this journey and how do they, how do they make those small but mighty changes without making it seem so overwhelming? Wow. I think the first thing is great leaders demonstrate significantly better emotional intelligence. The idea of blending thinking and feeling to make optimal decisions and I, when I say thinking and feeling, I don't mean yours or someone else's. I mean both. That mm -hmm. you have to read the person in front of you. You have to recognize yourself. And that you see feelings as data just as much as um, logic or facts and figures. That you're blending all that together so that you make the most optimal decisions. That is what great, that's what great leaders do. Right. And, and so they communicate better. They listen better. They have more empathy. 
Um, and they motivate people more because they've connected with them at a completely different level. So to me, I think the idea of really exploring emotional intelligence, taking an emotional intelligence assessment, understanding mm. who you are, what you bring to the table, what you have to work on is key because you know in the end, emotions drive people and people drive performance. And if you aren't really aware of your own emotions, if you can't label them at will, move through them quickly. So if I'm upset, I'm angry, I'm depressed, whatever the case may be, if I can't recognize it, name it and be able to move from where I'm at, which may be, I, and that doesn't mean it's bad. Emotions are there for a reason, right? So yeah, I can yeah. be angry and there could be a good reason I'm angry. And to be able to label that, recognize it, process it so that you can move to a different place and be not angry, but you can actually proactively utilize the information you gained from that experience. That's key to being a great people leader. Um, it's not about avoiding emotions, ignoring emotions. It's about embracing them in a way that allows you to learn and move forward. If you embrace it in a way that you stay in a pity puddle, that's not emotional intelligence. That's not good. And so, you know, a lot of people get stuck. They get stuck being angry. They get stuck being a victim. They get stuck being in those places. And some people use the expression we use in our English language all the time, which is leave your emotions at the door, right? Yeah. No, you can't leave your emotions at the door. You can't expect your employees to do it. You also can't wallow in them. You have totally. to utilize them. And you have to utilize them along with all the other information you have around yourself to make the best decisions possible. If you can do that, then you're you're more than halfway there, right? That's, mm. that's the key. Being a leader is about people, and and people people have emotions. Oh my so gosh, we need to get to <laughs> we need to really understand ours and be able to begin to read others yeah. um, well enough that it helps us lead productively. So that when you're in a meeting and someone subtly sends you a signal that nobody else in the room picks up, but you know something's not right. And to be able to mm -hmm. say, Tracy, what's on your mind? Mm -hmm. So Tracy can get pulled in and people go, she's fine. No, no, I, I, Tracy, I think you have something to say. And then all of a sudden Tracy says something that's so profound that she would never have said because she didn't feel comfortable until I mm -hmm. gave her the space to do it. Right. And nobody else in the room recognized that. That's a great leader. That's what you're looking for. And you can only do that if you're paying attention to subtle cues. You're mm. paying attention to just people's eyes, their expression, um, a change in behavior that wouldn't say I'm upset or I'm angry, but would say something shifted. Right. That's a great leader. I love that. I mean, the emotional intelligence, first of all, I think that the listeners will find a lot of really good advice throughout this entire conversation, but that is... I, I'm doubling down on that. I think the emotional intelligence is so important. I mean, it's it's whether you're a leader or you know trying to become a leader, and being able to have emotional intelligence, develop emotional intelligence, seems to be the most effective way to be a strong leader. Because actually, I think that it, it you know it doesn't it doesn't matter if you ever get a result. What matters is actually that you have people who want to get the result working for you. And so if you can, if you can really connect with people and form 
authentic and trusting relationships, which I talk about often on this podcast, um, but especially through empathy and understanding, that is, that's a win. And those are, those are people that will do anything for you. I mean, will literally go to the ends of the earth to work for you or to give you the result that you Absolutely. need, you know, and, and that's, it's not just like loyalty or blind loyalty. I think it's really having a, a connection with someone that you believe in, that you respect and where there's mutual respect. So I, I love that response and I'm sure that everyone listening will agree. Yeah. And hopefully, I mean, that EQ assessment, hopefully that's something that they can do. Yeah, no, they're, they're, we, we have our own, so I know people can do it. So they're, they're playing there and I'm going to triple down. You double down, I'm going to triple down. <laughs> Here's my triple down. What people may not know is your IQ drops as you get older. Oh, God. I didn't so, know that. And, there, and, and there's nothing you can do. We all get, we all get more stupid. Okay? So here's the deal. Oh, great. Your EQ, your EQ can get stronger if you study and work it. So mm. the incentive for anyone in the workplace is that to augment myself and make sure that I am as competitive and sharp as I was before, even more competitive and sharp, you should, you've, you've got to focus on your EQ. It is a key of getting ahead and staying ahead in a career that spans 50 years, typically. If you get out of school now, you have 50 years of, you have to bring in personal revenue, which you means say. you've got to stay relevant. And yeah. one of the best ways to stay relevant is to develop your EQ. Love it. That is, and that is a transferable skill set. We, this is also something that comes up a lot because there are individuals who reach out about wanting to make transitions into or out of industries, careers. And we talk, I, I think that transferable skill sets are everywhere. And I don't think that enough hiring managers really see that there are so many transferable skill sets. You don't necessarily Agreed. have to be in one industry in order to be effective in another. Um, and so I think that the EQ is a huge part of that. So I'm glad we spent some really good time good. talking about it. Good, good. Yeah. I'm glad Amazing. Well. Yeah. It's so important. Um, connecting with people, you know, people, people, people. I love it. On that note, you are a busy person, and so I want to be mindful of your time. I really Thank appreciate you, you joining uh, the, the podcast family at this point. Um, when the world fully opens up, I'm going to have to get all the people that I had as guests on for, you know, like an evening or something, like, right? We'll have to do that. Yeah. Um, I think that everyone would really enjoy that. We'll, we'll, I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll find something. Maybe uh, for my 30th birthday, it'll be coming right in time. Who knows? You never know. <laughs> um, we, have, we have a few months to plan for that. Anyway, I'd love for you to share where the listeners can connect with you, where they can find you personally, and also even your business, considering they might find some useful resources on your website too. Sure, sure. So our company's name is Performance Point, and you can reach us at www.performancepointllc.com. Uh, you can reach me at 901-291-1547. It's a direct line. Cool. And, uh, and my email is bfetterman. That's... D is in Brad, F is in Frank, E, D is in David, E R M A N at performancepointllc.com. Uh, and you feel free to reach me there. And I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter. We have company pages on those. We also have Instagram. So we're all over the place. Just look us up and we will be there and we're happy to connect. 
Amazing. And I will definitely link those, um, those quick, uh, links as well. So I'm sure that when they go to your website or they, um, get your email, they'll be able to get connected in those other places too. Perfect. And, and LinkedIn is a definitely a great place to start too. I mean, that's where we initially connected as well. So Absolutely. I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining the, the podcast family, like I said, and have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you. You too as well. And I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Of course. Thank you.